Primary Care Knowledge Boost, Podcast 12, Resilience Part 1. Hello and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. It's nice to speak to you all again. Um, today we're talking all about resilience with Dr. Rebecca Barron. Um, and this is part one of our two-part series on the subject. And the recordings came about when we heard Rebecca talk about resilience when we went to a first five event in Manchester and we really related to what she said. Um, we found a lot of her insights really useful in our own lives and we spoke to her afterwards where she kindly agreed to come on the podcast and speak to us again. Yes, exactly. Um, so in this episode, we go through what resilience is and how it came into being um, in general and in healthcare. And um, we talk about the neuroscience around the concept of resilience. And then Rebecca goes through some of the resources that she has found most useful. Um, and we'll put links to all of those in the episode description for you. Yeah. We thought it's pretty important to um, start the episode off with a brief mention that though we focused on individual resilience here, we wholeheartedly agree with David Oliver's article in the BMJ from 2017, where he said it's an understandable impulse to give reassuring platitudes and shift responsibility for well-being onto individual practitioners. But a resilient system is what we need, one that adequately recruits, retains, values and supports its employees. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're working in a difficult system um, and by looking at our individual resilience, we might be able to mitigate the impact of that, um, as well as helping in other areas of life and gaining skills that we can pass on to our patients. Um, but yes, it's not a replacement for an unhealthy working environment. Exactly, yeah. Um, so since um, recording this episode, we've actually come across um, a lot of other brilliant resources to do with resilience and well-being. Um, we heard Dr. Helen Gar talk at the RCGB conference about well-being um, and the five ways to well-being and would definitely encourage you to Google her work. Yeah, um, yeah she did an excellent um, episode with EGP Learning Podblast um, and I'll put a link to that in the description as well um, and you can hear her speak about the subject. Yeah, I really enjoyed that talk as well. Yeah, um, Helen Gar works for the NHS Practitioner Health Service and that used to be called NHS GP Health which is a free confidential resource for mental health issues and addiction which is available to all doctors and dentists of any grade in England. Um, another podcast that we found that's devoted completely to this topic as well is You Are Not A Frog and that's by a Dr Rachel Morris um, which is absolutely brilliant listening as well. Yeah so um, we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Um, today we have Dr. Rebecca Barron here from Health Education Northwest to talk to us about the topic of resilience. Um, would you mind introducing yourself um, for all our listeners, Rebecca? Thank you. I'm a GP by background. I qualified in 1984 and I was a GP for 28 years in Stockport. Um, and from very soon after getting involved, uh, becoming a GP, I got involved in education um, for general practice. Um, and I'm an associate dean for Health Education Northwest mm. and a particular interest um, in that work around um, leadership and resilience. Um, and those are kind of my sort of passions in my work area. Lovely. So um, can you tell us about um, how you became interested in the topic of resilience it, I mean I guess I was interested because it, it, it kind of ran along some of the leadership work about how um, uh, how you make a kind of good workplace how organizationally things work and I got specifically interested in resilience um, a number of years ago because um, I was working um, in leadership with um, one of the, another associate dean who was a child psychiatrist mm -hmm. and she taught me because actually a lot of the original work around resilience was done um, in children and it was done looking at um, and understanding why children who'd had really difficult upbringings, why one would assume that stress would 
be detrimental and um, you know would affect them adversely. And although I mean there certainly are adverse effects, what was recognised is that some children actually cope better with it than others. Yeah. Uh-huh. So a lot of the work was around trying to understand why some children cope better than others, and that was a kind of start of a lot of the research around resilience. And that kind of started me reading and looking at information and then I started to be aware that there was a lot of work and um, study that had gone on um, from a psychology point of view mm-hmm. and also from a neuroscience point of view which I found absolutely fascinating and really really helpful in my work and personally yeah. so that's kind of what's led me down the resilience route. That's all really interesting mm-hmm. um, so I think maybe it's a good idea to start for people who don't know and um, mm-hmm. talk about what actually resilience is what the definition of it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, there's several ways of, of describing it. I mean, I mean, if you look at it kind of, you know, from a sort of what the word means, it's sort of the capacity to, um, uh, recover more quickly or bounce back, um, or, you know, get back in shape, that kind of, um, elasticity, um, mm. of, of recovering. Um, but there isn't really the right word. And I know some people don't like the word resilience, but my own kind of, um, uh, kind of understanding of it is really that your resilience is almost kind of like a reservoir that you have uh-huh. um, and you need to keep it topped up because it's constantly leaking out really yeah. because of the things you do and sometimes the tap opens more widely and it's harder so I kind of I see resilience kind of as a as a kind of resource or, or a reservoir that that you can individually and as an organization look to to sort of develop and give you the the, um, the kind of uh, I guess the capacity to keep going you know and and develop that's, that's really nice imagery actually I can mm. picture that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and can you tell us a bit more with medicine um, where resilience the topic of resilience now gaining a lot of sort of credence and uh, importance where's that sort of stemmed from do you think and um, I think for several reasons I think one the uh, understanding the kind of neuroscience behind it yeah. has been really influential in having um, an influence on what's understood and rather than it being a kind of fluffy you know oh yes we'll all do you know healthy things or whatever and yeah. um, yeah. the actual neuroscience is really powerful in understanding that and there's a lot of work done around people who've had major trauma and the impact of that and on the brain, how the brain works and actually how the brain can recover. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that, um, which is phenomenally useful. I mean, and I think there's different aspects of it. I mean, one is the aspect, obviously, for us as um, physicians or individuals or whatever, understanding how it helps us. Yeah. Um, and certainly this works massive influence on, on me personally and actually helping me appreciate why the things that work for me work for me. But also from a medical perspective in terms of helping patients and, and I used it extensively as a GP um, working with, with patients. Yeah. It was really, really helpful from that perspective. Yeah. So you've touched a little bit on the neuroscience mm-hmm. there. Do you want to delve into that a little bit more with us and tell us a bit about the actual science behind resilience? Yeah. Okay. So um, one of the things that's made a difference neuroscience perspective is um functional mri scanning all right yeah and actually seeing what happens when people are under trauma and seeing what's what's going on um and there's a fantastic book um called the body keeps a score um by uh, an american physician uh, bessel van der kolk which is just um inspirational and i would recommend mm-hmm. to any gp who's interested in working with complex patients uh-huh. just about what happens to the brain when people go through trauma right. um so that's kind of there's there's that sort of element of of the neuroscience understanding 
the impact of the brain, which bit of the brain that's working. Uh, I mean, the, there's uh, Steve Peters' work, The Chimp Paradox, which yeah. some people may be familiar with. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that work is focused on understanding the different bits of the brain and understanding the kind of limbic system and the amygdala, um, which is the kind of fright, flight, you know, adrenaline bit of your brain that's there to um, protect you in a yeah. way and enable you to kind of run away from scared things, but yep. can kind of immobilize the frontal cortex, which is mm-hmm. the, you know, our kind of the human bit of the brain that enables us to work through and reason. I mean, saying one of the things about the, yeah. the prefrontal cortex is humans are the only animals that kind of think through what's going to happen you know I've got a day at work what's going to happen or you know like you're going on a visit and you're thinking oh I don't know what I'm going to do in that visit and then you kind of mentally go through well it could be this or it could be that well I mean no other animal apparently does that (laughs) you know they don't dogs don't think oh where shall I go for a walk today shall I go here shall I go there (laughs) so it's that kind of ability so we as humans really depend on that bit of the brain and that bit of the brain enables us to do what we want to do but the amygdala can actually completely overcome that and and stop that bit working. And there's other kind Mm. of aspects of that. So as humans, we... um, uh, our limbic systems, our amygdala kind of combined together. They, you know, so if you're in a room with people, I mean, one of the joys about work, isn't it, is if, you know, everybody has a coffee together or lunch together, everybody feels better. Yeah. And it's partly mm-hmm. our kind of limbic systems all kind of aligning and communicating with each other. And if we smile and, and if, I mean, if you smile yourself, you release um, chemicals which make you feel better. So if you feel really stressful, if you just kind of make yourself smile, <laughs> however weird it is, yeah. actually feel better. But if you, in interact with other people and you make eye contact and you smile and all those things mm. everybody uplifts and feels better mm. and um, there's some lovely work done um, which is described in Blink uh, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, book mm. he writes lots of uh, really interesting stuff but looking at how the muscles in our face in- enable this chemical release um, yeah. so that you feel better and it's part of what mm. our role is as a GP um, in terms of you know as a doctor or, or anybody working um, with care the way you talk to people has that effect so there's a lot Lots of different aspects where the neuroscience is kind of better understood. I mean, I'll probably touch on other bits as we go along. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's kind of a real thing that people can measure. And that's what's really, uh, really powerful about it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, resilience as a topic is, is quite controversial in some ways at the moment. Um, it does seem to have been used in some ways as kind of putting the onus on some of the NHS workforce to to kind of become more resilient and it seems like it's nearly like a it's not the organization it's you kind of theory like oh we should be resilient and put up with these conditions that that's sometimes the way it's taken um do you want to talk, sort of talk to us a little bit about that and yeah really really happy in. to talk about that because I think it's um I, I mean I can completely understand where people are coming from with that yeah. although you know it's not that our organization is, you know, it's, it's, it's the individual that causes a problem. And I think it's really helpful to understand that the resilience work, as I kind of, as I'm interested in it, is yeah. more about developing anybody individually, really, whatever job you're in. But you're absolutely right that the organization needs to support what's going on. Yeah. And that is crucial. And I think by understanding the background, the scientific background and the evidence around resilience, it's actually what then helps you to make the organization 
a resilient place to be mm. um and we'll you know hopefully touch on that as, as we go as we carry on talking and i mean within a general practice setting one of the great strengths is that we have an ability to control the environment we're in yeah you know yeah even if to a degree i mean there are some things out of our control um but there's there is a lot of evidence around organization and what works but you're totally right the organization needs to be able to support that and it's not just about you know providing an exercise session it's kind of intrinsic to the way the organizations run yeah. um, but the same evidence underpins both um so I, I think it's really sad if people think oh, well i don't want to do that because the organization should be right i think both things need to happen and i think as individuals i mean I, all i can say is personally understanding the resilience um evidence has helped me um massively go through you know fairly um difficult situations yeah yeah, yeah. good so it's something that you that you've got a lot out of and that i think we've definitely got a lot a lot out of yeah when we've looked into yeah. it and it, it, it yeah. absolutely um doesn't take away the need for organizations to uh, work in a healthy way i mean that That's is it. crucial yeah and there's a, a lot of evidence around that yeah and that has impacts on benefits for you know all people working in healthcare and patient care and the, the sort of patient outcomes as well yeah exactly. so it's it's very very important yeah, yeah i agree it's, it sounds like it's a bit of um, team working there but even if you develop your own personal resilience it's another kind of tool in your arsenal to help um personally i think yeah yeah, yeah. and i think that's where the overlap with leadership is because i guess leadership is about running you know and having a healthy effective organization and that's why mm. i think for me resilience and leadership are so um you know so close together really and uh, you need one to understand the other yeah oh, good good how about next we kind of touch a bit on the um, evidence behind what helps in terms of um, making people and organizations resilient and um, if you've got any um, kind of background that you can give us um, from that yeah I mean there's there's lots and lots of work around that and I'm going to touch on I suppose I guess one of I think one of the most influential piece of works is um, the research done by Martin Seligman who's an American um, psychologist mm -hmm. and he's very much I suppose the kind of father of positive psychology he's a really interesting um uh Gangley, he's done very um detailed research around what happens and he's not a kind of happy jolly person his mm. background and i first heard him speaking on the radio um talking about um his his own mood and depression and how he kind right. of managed that yeah. so he's a very serious academic and he did a lot of the initial research around um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. But he then started doing research, understanding why people who were um, happier or whatever the word you want to use mm. were like that. And one of the things that kind of put him off for a long time doing that is you're probably aware of um, quite a lot of evidence that if, um, if you win the lottery, you are much happier for kind of three to six months. And then after a year or two, you return to your normal curmudgeonly state. Same yeah. thing if you get married or anything. <laughs> and actually yeah. people who go through traumatic events similarly might be very down for a bit, mm. but actually return afterwards to, 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 um, to the state so kind of understanding why it is um that happens and there's 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 lots of his work that's really really useful to see and if you google him there's lots of him speaking and it's he's really interesting to talk about but i guess i'll probably touch on a few themes that i've really liked i mean he's uh he, he's worked at the university of pennsylvania and they run a kind of masters around positive psychology and the kind of some of the areas have touched on on what makes a difference what would make you happier so i'll give you a couple of things that he's done that have shown there'd be a difference okay. one of the things is um something um he calls a gratitude letter 
Okay. So if you imagine if you just, you know, think for a minute of somebody who's positively influenced you in your life or your career and just think who that person is, should be somebody who's still alive. And mm-hmm. um, uh, what he suggests that you do is write a letter to them um, and write a letter mm-hmm. and then you give them a ring and say, can I come and see you? Um, and you go and see them and you read that letter out. And it sounds a bit cringe, I know. Um, but if you do that, um, it positively improves your uh, mood and your happiness level and all sorts of things and it probably lasts about six months wow. so I kind of as a measure of gratitude and I mean you may or may not do that and I've, I've done similar um, things like that in in conferences and educational events I've done and it, it does it, it is really powerful so what he's what he's demonstrated is that really makes a difference um, and yeah. maybe a slightly easier thing to do which is a really which is probably of all the things he suggests one of the most powerful it's something called three good things. Yeah. Um, so what he says is that if every day you think of three good things that have happened and why those things have happened um, and how you get more of them. Mm. And if you do that every day, that has a significant improvement in your mood. And most people who start doing that actually carry on doing it yeah. because it's so powerful. And it's a bit like what you might do with a child when they go to bed, you know, like what was the nicest thing you happened today? Yeah. And he suggests writing it down. Um, I mean, I'm not, a, you could be a bit, um, uh, organized to do that but it's just quite nice to do as you get into bed or if you wake up in the night and do it and yeah. it's been shown to yeah. improve your sleep if you do it um, yeah. and I quite like a little adaptation of it which is pleased thankful happy so mm-hmm. something you were pleased about something you were thankful for and something you were happy about because sometimes at a difficult day at work you might be pleased and thankful but it wasn't necessarily a good thing that happened (laughs) but you know you can be thankful you survived it really yeah so it's pth it's like parathyroid hormone that's (laughs) um but actually to do that at night is is, so those those are really really powerful tools and and i would really recommend you having a go at those and actually you can bring them into um, a meeting at work you can you know go around at the beginning of a meeting and get everybody to say what's happened the last week that they were you know they were they thought we'd done well out or we, you were pleased about yeah. um it sounds a bit corny but it works yeah. and it's actually again if you're going back to the brain it's getting the brain to focus on the positive things because our brains are designed to remember the negative things um, yes. um mm. because we need to remember where that bear was in case it might eat us <laughs> yes and not the positive things the positive things go like teflon so it's kind of making the brain focus on the positive things so those are kind of a couple of his int- introductory things yeah. uh, which are which are really useful Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things he talks about, which I think is really um, helpful um, and really interesting, is his kind of analysis of what, I suppose, resilience or well-being or positivity is about. And he divides it into five areas, um, what he describes as PERMA, uh, P-E-R-M-A. And I'll talk to you about what those five areas are. So the first is about positive emotion. Um, and that's the thing that often people think about, about, you know, positivity, being happy. Um, and it is an important thing, but it's more important for some people than others. And what's interesting around um, positive emotion and positivity is probably about 50% of that is genetic. It's based on our our, mm. our genes, really. So yeah. um, we don't, we, we have some control over it. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, um, and the 50% is not. So there's obviously lots of potential to improve that. Um, yeah. But it's more important for some people than others. Yeah. So the other areas that he thinks uh, he considers important are the e stands for engagement Mm -hmm. and that's really when you get totally engaged in what you're doing and Mm -hmm. he describes something called flow and when you're in flow you're just kind of doing something not necessarily with an emotion attached but you're so involved in it that you don't appreciate time passing and I used to feel like that when I was in surgery you know all of a sudden three hours had gone past and you just didn't you know it's just like gone or if you enjoy something if you enjoy music or I'm a keen gardener 
time just goes yeah. Um, yeah. and engagement's really important um, and it's more important for some people than others you know some people really have an ability just to get lost in what they're doing yeah. and that's mm-hmm. one of the things that's you know kind of from a sort of feeling um you know appreciating what you're doing and feeling in a good place is important mm. and then the r stands for relationships relationships are known as a really important part of um uh you know positivity and resilience mm. and i think it's they're crucially important in the areas that we work the people that you mm. work with colleagues um working with people and as i was saying before the way our kind of limbic systems align and i think you know in terms of relationships and the, the support um that you get from other people and your families outside and also it's one of the things that makes us very effective again as GPs that actually Mm. that kind of relationship that you where you support patients is what helps them a lot Um, so that's really important and again for some people that aspect is more important than for other people and then the fourth area is around meaning um, and doing something that's important Um, and again for some people it varies how much but you know we're so lucky as doctors because we do something that's helpful for other people so it's really you know we do something that's meaningful and one of the the, you probably read there's quite a lot of evidence to say that if you um, do something that's helpful for other people that really helps you um, and that's you know quite quite you know quite strong evidence around that Um, and then the final area um, uh, that he talks around and is about accomplishments so it's about the achievements we make and again you know as as you know to get to where we've got to um, from a medical perspective or anybody in any field that they work actually being aware of those and what we've what we've achieved but again it's different so some people are much more competitive aren't they and they want to have everything and they want to achieve things Mm. so what what Martin Seligman says is that those five areas we're all different in actually what what means something to us and yeah. and so that you may be something somebody who's very involved in the in the meaning of something and and actually doing something that cares and that's what's important to you you don't necessarily overtly have to be a happy person to be okay with yourself yeah um, and, and yeah. I found that so what he says is it's kind of like a dial on a plane really that some things that sometimes are more important to you yeah. and all those things are important and when you think of you know I suppose the stress people say of, you know looking at social media and everybody looking happy uh, and you yeah. know done up and going to parties I mean that's the kind of positive bit but really some of the other bits are probably more important um, or or as important yeah and it's nice to consider that it isn't just about the happiness and the positivity that there Mm. are other things Mm. that can help Mm. people become more resilient yeah Mm. so lovely so that was all about um perma and martin seligman yes that's right yeah yeah Yeah. and he's done has he done any other things yeah i mean there's lots of stuff he's done and i I would encourage you i mean his book flourish is really interesting Mm. um his website um has got loads of great stuff um and if you follow our link on health education northwest it'll there's information on that Uh, Um, we'll include that so we will in the Um, episode description um so his sort of university of pennsylvania link and i think it's happiness.org um is his website and he you can do um signature strengths um questionnaire which tells you what your kind of strengths how you approach something and that can help you see um what makes you what works for you because we all like different sorts of jobs don't we we're like working in different ways and partly that's to do with the fact that we're all different um he's done some great work looking at how um he's really interested in health inequalities and looking across america at states in america that have very poor health outcomes Uh and looking at um, social media and um, there's a 
very powerful link between um, sort of negativity on social media and poor health outcomes. Right. Um, actually stronger than a link between smoking or obesity. It's quite remarkable. Wow. So that's got a lot, wow. which I guess is about evidence to say if we can help people with this. And, and there's a lovely bit at the end of his book where somebody says to him, you know, if you were going to, you know, what, what are the most important things from your point of view around, you know, how you're going to flourish or positivity or resilience? And he says, he says there's two things. One is always to be future looking. So yeah, always, yeah. you know, he says as humans, we are future looking, but kind of be thinking about what you could do and kind of what the possibilities are. Yeah. Um, and the second is to exercise. So right. I haven't really touched on that, but exercise, I mean, and again, for, you know, I don't yeah. think I probably need to reiterate the evidence around the um, health benefits of exercise mentally and physically, yeah. but that that has a very powerful uh, effect as well. I do think a lot of our colleagues use that as their kind of number one go-to for when they're trying to yeah. build up their, you know, to relieve their yeah. stress. Yeah. 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 To relieve, yeah. Either as a stress reliever or as, as trying to kind of build yeah. themselves up again. Yeah. definitely definitely and it is really powerful and I, you know i mean obviously you know it's different things work for different people yeah um i mean i've always done a lot of yoga and i mean i've done yeah. it for years and i always knew it had a bigger effect than um you know the weekly class i went to and i'm now doing a lot more yeah. um so you sort of see the benefits of it and but i mean you know it's whatever exercise is right for individuals yeah, yeah. Um, but it's actually about making space for that really yeah. So, uh, so yeah we were talking yeah. about that earlier and I think it's partly the time that you're giving to that yeah. which is separate from your work yeah. um, that yeah. is just for you yeah. um, and I, I do yoga but only once a week myself mm. but I actually noticed that when I've not been for a few weeks it really has a big impact on yeah. how yeah. stressful I'm feeling about things yeah. and you right. wouldn't think that an hours class once a week would maybe do that but yeah. I can notice yeah. it and my, you were my saying big that thing you is Zumba, Zumba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah because um more so than those types of things I love music and yes. so the idea of kind of dance and music and just yeah, yeah focusing on something completely different it just completely yeah I find yeah. it absolutely invigorating yeah so there's lots of different levels aren't there because yeah. actually you stop thinking about other things you can have more positive things yeah. I mean there's some amazing work around um, the vagus nerve and something called the polyvagal theory mm. which is partly what links with exercise and particularly yoga and playing some musical instruments and kind of meditation work okay. that we um, the vagus nerve um, you know which we're kind of familiar with as the you know the sort of parasympathetic nervous system yeah. and this kind of it has different ways of functioning um, and yoga and things where you kind of breathe more deeply and you know we all know that when you breathe out your heart rate slows mm -hmm. um so that's kind of the bit of the vagus nerve conditioning um and and slowing the heart rate down and there's very strong links between that and health benefits overall right. and so you know yeah. again you can start to kind of unpick why that's happening okay. so that's yeah. uh, really really uh, quite very fascinating work yeah. about about that yeah brilliant excellent good yeah so um, shall we pause for this part of the podcast and mm. then rejoin you um, for part two, where we'll talk a bit more about resilience in general and kind of an approach for both um, individuals, organisations and, and potential patients as well. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. So that was a really lovely talk by Dr. Rebecca Barron today and really interesting to get her experience and insight into the topic of resilience. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah. I remember the um, talk that she gave in Manchester that we both attended yeah. um, and uh, some of the same themes came up today that she talked about and it just really resonated um, yeah. with me. Absolutely. Um, I think I really like her metaphor for resilience, that idea of a reservoir mm. um, and the fact that um, we leak more water sometimes than others. Absolutely. Um, and how, how the things that we do um, can help seal the reservoir and top yeah. up the water so that we're prepared for when we do get to stages where it's leaking again. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, I really loved the part about understanding your brain and the whole neuroscience behind it. Yeah. So what's happening when you're stressed and your prefrontal cortex sort of shutting down that lack of ability to sort of think properly yeah um massively resonated with me as well yeah and i think just being aware of it is probably a really helpful um helpful thing generally for for life and work uh, yeah <laughs> i think once you can recognize it then you might be able to do something about it yeah yeah changing um, up exactly <laughs> um and the i remember the three things um that was one of the bits that she talked about um in manchester and yeah. i did try it for a little while over winter last year when it was particularly hard mm. yeah. um with all the winter pressures and things yeah me too um yeah and I, it was it was really really good i did um start to find myself um finding good things that were happening in the day that i thought was a bad day yeah um, and unfortunately when things got better i did let it slide and i've not yeah, done it again yeah um, i think about june i started yeah and <laughs> um, but i do want to get back into doing it again i think yeah. it was really really good yeah i think this time i might try her parathyroid one the please uh, thankful happy yes uh, method because i think that is nice to sort of it's not necessarily all positive things but things that you're grateful for and yeah i really yeah, like that it was take a nice on idea it. yeah so next up will be the second part of our resilience talk and that'll be in three weeks time that we'll release that one and yep. um, the again it's it will be more about resilience and the neuroscience and research into it so as always um we've got our survey which we'll put the link to in the episode notes and mm-hmm. um, we're just again still trying to get as much information as we can to keep the podcast going so yes. if you can let us know um what you think that'd be great it would exactly <laughs> um and you can also um contact us on twitter our handle is at pckb podcast and we um, are also available to email on primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com thank you very much for those of you that have got in touch either through twitter through emailing or um through the survey um, which obviously is our preferred method yeah. um, but everything is really good it's so nice to hear back from you and we're collecting all the feedback so thank you yeah it's brilliant till next time on primary care knowledge boost Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Wigan in 2019. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for more information and for any links that we've mentioned in the episode.